Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to a special Upfronts edition of TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Gold. West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined as usual by my partner in crime, Dan Feinberg, THR's chief TV critic. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Leslie. On a scale of 1 to 10, how awake would you say you are right now? Well, I've had a Red Bull, so I'm about a 9.9. God, I wish Red Bull worked that well for me, but I'm happy for you and your caffeination. Yes, it's been a busy week of TV news. There's a lot going on. There were a bazillion cancellations, a lot of surprise renewals. A lot of series pickups, except for if you're ABC. The penultimate episode of Game of Thrones aired. And the Red Sox, Dan, are suddenly back in the race. Never had a second's concern, Leslie. Not a second's concern. Well, we made it through what I like to call Hell Week, when all the broadcast networks renew and cancel existing shows and then pick up a new round of potential victims for this time next year. And since we took last week off, let's go through... Plus, I like how you put that. We took last week off. We were just chilling. We were on a beach in Tahiti just enjoying a pina colada and stuff. Uh, Before we get into the individuals, did this week feel more or less helly to you than other past hell weeks? Helly. We're going to use helly? I'll use helly. Sure. It felt a little bit less helly than in the past. I mean, I think a lot of it is because most of these shows, most people didn't even realize were actual shows. You know, or, hey, or had CBS, already considered CBS them canceled fam, okay? Or had already considered them canceled, <clears throat> Murphy Brown. You know, it just feels like the level of interest just isn't there. I think, you know, in look, in a 500 show universe with Netflix and Apple and HBO all aggressively spending and Amazon and just there's so much other stuff that people are watching and talking about and the fact that this is all happening amid the Game of Thrones finale where every single episode feels like a big movie opening. Do people really care that fam was canceled? Do <laughs> people care readers, deeply. Readers, I, email us at TV's top five at THR.com if you know what fam is. No, please don't. <laughs> you can feel free to email Leslie. I am well aware of what fam is. I watched at least four episodes of fam. I am totally down with the fact that fam was canceled. So it's an interesting perspective that the network should have delayed Upfronts Week this year until after Game of Thrones I mean, was that's not my done. perspective. <laughs> I'm saying is that there doesn't feel any sense of urgency that there used to be around Upfronts. I mean, you know, Upfronts Week for me as a TV reporter who's been doing this for 10 years now, I used to love this kind of week. And I mean, I still kind of love, you know, knowing what's going on and, and talking to agents and managers and network people and executives you know, but it just feels like, how do you cut through in this landscape if you're a broadcast network? You know, it's the same battle every year, except the stakes are reduced every year. And it's the same thing that the fall premiere weeks also doesn't mean what it used to mean anymore. And so at a certain point, 
if broadcast wants to actually justify its place in the conversation, they need to kind of force their place in the conversation. And it does not feel as if they're at a point in which they have any desire to force their way and they're just kind of being there. So let's go one by one through a few of the networks to see how they did or did not force their way into the conversation. Number one. Well, I mean, with this podcast, we're going to do a little bit of a different structure. As Dan just said, we're going to go network by network. But look, we'll be back again this week on Friday with final thoughts on each of the network's presentations. And speaking of presentations, NBC's Upfront is now completely behind it. We had their press call on Sunday on Mother's Day, which is a treat for anyone with a family. And their new executive regime, Paul Telegdi and George Cheeks, kind of outlined what their plans are for the network. And spoiler alert, it's pretty much the same as Greenblatt stability. This is among the most stable networks that you've got when you look at a lot of their renewals and their volume last year versus this year. It's probably about on par, nine new series orders. It's business as usual there, despite a new exec regime. You mentioned that NBC is rolling out its first schedule under new entertainment presidents, Paul Telegdi and George Cheeks. But you know who I was missing at NBC's actual upfront presentation today? I know, I know. Who, who? Paul Telegdi and George Cheeks. It seems a little bit funny because obviously NBC wanted to accentuate that they're the stable network, that everyone else is going through these gigantic mergers or having these digital uncertainties or whatever and bringing out new entertainment presidents, even if they've been around as long as these guys have been, it obviously would have made the narrative a little bit different. It would have made it an, okay, here's how things are changing over. And they did not want to have that as their narrative today. Yeah. Instead, they did a press call with reporters early Sunday morning and walked through the schedule. And like I mentioned, there's a lot of stability. The other big takeaway for NBC is that their big goal this year is launching a new comedy. Look, last year they picked up three new shows, and I'm including Brooklyn Nine-Nine in that since it was an import from Fox. The other two new shows are canceled. So it's, I don't even remember the names. It's I Feel Bad and there's one other one. Oh, I can't even remember. Abby's? I don't know. It hasn't been canceled yet, but it say, will Abby's be. Abby's is technically the other NBC comedy. And of the two, it's the one that if it didn't get canceled, I would probably give it another shot next year. But I also don't necessarily know why they would not. And Mike Sure already has another new show to fill its place. And, you know, we saw, look, the decisions on all of NBC's midseason shows have yet to be made, including The Village. But when you look at what else they picked up, they have a new comedy from Mike Sure. It's called Sunnyside, starring Cal Penn. They don't need Abby's. <laughs> That's sad when you put it that way, but you're probably correct. So what other messages did you feel like NBC wanted to put out today? What was the centerpiece of their pitch to the money men? Honestly, just that they were stable and they have this big thing coming next year, which is the Comcast streaming platform. Unnamed. Unnamed. Untitled Comcast Unnamed. streaming platform. Which it sounds like has been delayed to mid-2020 debut, which they said a lot of positive things that, that it's going to be their biggest investment for the company yet. Then they had a bunch of trailers. Don't forget that it will be free also. That was yes. the that and was It will the be ad-supported. Ad ad-supported, yes, which probably means that they will then give me the opportunity to pay to avoid the ads and... Yeah, no, NBC wanted to accentuate kind of the across-the-board amount of space they covered, basically. So they spent a lot of time on Telemundo. They spent a lot of time on sports, so much time on sports. Hey, did you know that the Olympics are coming to NBC? I've heard that, and I've heard that they will offer more places than ever before for brand integration or something. I don't know. They they made it sound very exciting. And so, yeah, who am I to tell them that that's not what they should be doing? They also 
What other sports did they try? They had a little wrestling. They did a little... On USA Network, yeah. Exactly, because whatever. That's that's a thing. And, and, yeah. we'll, and we'll hear more about wrestling this afternoon during Fox's Upfront presentation, which we, we'll get into on Friday. Yes, significantly more this afternoon, because I assume it's a more important part of their thing. <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about scripted for NBC really quick before we move on to the next victim. I mean, network. You've got a lot of returning shows, Blacklist, Blindspot, all three Chicago shows, Good Girls, The Good Place, Law & Order SVU, Superstore, This Is Us, which scored a massive three-season renewal for what I'm being told could probably and might very well likely be its final three seasons. Brooklyn Nine-Nine's coming back, Manifest, New Amsterdam, and the new shows, Bluff City Law, a legal drama with Jimmy Smits, This Is Us, like Tearjerker Council of Dads, which will invariably replace The Village on the schedule, multi-camera comedy Indebted. The Keenan Show, which got zero plug during NBC's Upfront presentation, despite Keenan Thompson being on stage. Yep, they had they had Keenan Thompson up there for a very very stale Celebrity Family Feud parody. Because as we know, if you watch NBC and you watch SNL, when they are out of ideas, they always just go to the game show sketch, and this was as out of ideas as they get. And yet they just went out there and they participated enthusiastically. And you had Keenan Thompson out there as Steve Harvey a day after they announced that. Steve Harvey would no longer be hosting Little Big Shots, and that new job is going to Melissa McCarthy, and a week after canceling his syndicated talk show. Yeah, there were several places at which the messages were a little bit conflicted. It was hard to get a, a much of a feeling, obviously, based on the trailers for any of these shows. I yeah, think they also have a Bone Collector reboot called Lincoln, a single-camera comedy called Perfect Harmony, the Mike Sher vehicles, Sunnyside, and the one I'm excited about most, which is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which is being held for midseason. I think without any question, if you're in my particular little sphere of the Twitterverse, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist is the one that people are talking about most, partially because people love Jane Levy from Suburgatory and myriad other programs, and partially because it just looks like something slightly different, honestly. It's it, a swing, for sure. It's, And I don't even know that I thought that it looked all that terrific. It just looked different. And I will watch things that Jane Levy does. And that is a established policy. And she has justified that in the past. I didn't know that basically the fact that they had to kind of explain everything about the premise in the trailer and in the pilot is the kind of thing that tends to annoy me. I, they spelled everything out a little bit much, but I will watch that show. Whereas I can't necessarily say I'll watch Sunnyside. It's a Mike Sure show. And it basically looks like the good place only with civics. So... And Cal Penn. And Cal Penn. So I can get behind that. But by the time they finally got to actually these trailers for the new season stuff, it was like an hour and 20 minutes into the two hour presentation. It was, I don't want to say an afterthought entirely, but it was definitely not the thing they were putting at the front. It was a, okay, here's a little part of our portfolio, <laughs> but we also have the Olympics. Yeah. And then it ended with a really odd musical performance by the voice coaches. And Adam Levine just looked like he would rather be anywhere else. Oh, I can't imagine what the reactions from the NBC executives watching that must have been. And I can't imagine what the negotiations must have been to get him there in the first place. Like if he actually tried saying, no, I'd rather be literally anywhere in the entire world than there at 10 a.m. in the morning. He was disgruntled and making no effort to I mean, look otherwise. his entire performance, he had his hand in his pocket. It was so bizarre. I, you know, when, when Adam Levine does not want to play ball, apparently Adam Levine does not want to play ball. But uh, Kelly Clarkson was very good, so. Sure. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Wrapping up with the takeaways for NBC, Dan, what did you think? What are your takeaway thoughts? 
that they were playing it safe and they were trying to clarify, okay, the other guys are the guys who have to prove something to you. The other guys are the ones who are trying to show what they are post-merger, who they want to be in the future, what their big swings are. We don't need to do that. And that made it boring as hell. But I think probably for Upfront's week, boring as hell is roughly synonymous with stable. And that's a message that you want to put forward. And I think that was the message they tried to put forward because no one else can really put that message forward. So NBC steered into it. Dan, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, let's move on to our next victim, I mean network, and talk about the new Fox Entertainment, which is overseen by CEO Charlie Collier and entertainment president Michael Thorne. Number two. Of all five broadcast networks, Fox is the one that is undergoing the most change. They have a new executive regime, they have no studio affiliate, and they are taking, in my opinion, some interesting and bold swings, Dan. Definitely of the new shows they listed, they sound a step more interesting, I would say, collectively. Like maybe we talked about Zoe's Infinite Playlist. That would probably... Extraordinary Playlist. Extraordinary Playlist. You're saying that Infinite Playlist might be a different brand? I mean, she's not Apple Music. (laughs) Um, Anyway, yeah, so that might look like kind of the best of the things that we've kind of had hinted at already. But if you sort of ask me to just look at log lines, the ones that seem most potentially intriguing are a lot of them are on Fox. And so that seems like a lot of effort, given that all we've been accentuating up until this point has been, well, they're going to have football, they're going to have wrestling, they're going to have all these live events, they're going to have that little show with the people in masks. Did they make any announcements about the show with people in masks? Yes, it's renewed for season three, and Fox is going to double pump it, meaning a cycle in the fall and then a cycle in the spring. And by the way, it's also airing in TV's best slot, after the Super Bowl. TV's quote-unquote best slot, because please remind me of the show that aired after the Super Bowl this year. Um, It was a CBS reality show. That's all I remember. When is it coming back for season two? Unclear. Or never. (laughs) I mean, we we haven't heard that, to be sure. That is absolutely technically true. But I don't think that you will be wrong about that. We have to keep saying over and over again that TV's best time slot, you know, probably works one time out of 10 or two times out of 10. It does feel to me like this is the kind of example where premiering the second season out of the Super Bowl would have been a great idea. Premiering the third season, there's already a good chance that whatever bloom is on that particular rose could be gone. I Or the inverse could be true. I mean, this was a show that pretty much built an audience almost every single week last season. It became a pop culture sensation. I think, you know, we talked about it a lot. I mean, I don't watch Unscripted, but I loved watching this. I loved reading about it. I loved seeing the costumes. It's ridiculous. It's also like, you know, as one agent put it to me, end times in terms of content. Well, and that is why I will take the it's going to be on the downward slope by the start of season three perspective. But that could I I just don't know how often you catch lightning in that bottle. And I'm guessing that some of the enthusiasm will be waning and suddenly they're going to have a Super Bowl time slot that's going to be going to a flagging reality show, hypothetically. But they could always back out and stick an animated comedy after that. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, speaking of animated comedies, let's kind of run do a quick rundown of what's new and, and what's returning. So returning, obviously, you have the animated staples, Bob's Burgers, The Simpsons, and Family Guy, Procedural 911, Empire, which today we learned is returning for a sixth and final season, The Orville, The Resident, Last Man Standing, which we thought was going to be the model of New Fox and is actually being held for mid-season, which was a, a surprise. And then when you look at the new shows, Fox is making a big investment in animated comedies, Bless the Hearts, Duncanville, 
and the Great North, three brand new ones. One of them, bless the hearts, will launch this fall. Of the new shows, there's a Texas set 911 spinoff starring Rob Lowe, Prodigal Son from Greg Berlanti and starring Michael Sheen and The Walking Dead, dearly departed Tom Payne, who's wonderful. Southern Gothic family soap, Filthy Rich, starring Kim Cattrall and from The Helps, Tate Taylor. A modern Western drama called Deputy, starring Stephen Dorff. A high-concept AI thriller called Next, starring Mad Men's John Slattery, who reunites with Charlie Collier, who ran AMC. A sister's drama called Not Just Me, from one of my favorite producers, Jason Kadams. And then multi-camera comedy Outmatched, starring Jason Biggs and Maggie Lawson, which will, I would imagine, be paired with Last Man Standing. And so you have a night of multicams on the schedule. But when you look at the fall, they're launching Prodigal Son and Not Just Me. Sundays will be two full hours of animation. And then there's no scripted comedies in the fall. Not one. First time ever. Well, we knew that there had to be something that was going to be off the schedule in order to make room for all of the stuff that we knew was going to be on the schedule. And I guess live action comedy is where it's at. And, and they lose Friday nights <laughs> to wrestling, which is where Last Man aired this season. Exactly. So it makes sense that if they think that where Last Man is on Friday is the place that has the most value, which is probably accurate because it's the place where you can go, ooh, it does better than we would have expected in this time slot as opposed to anything else. While you were going through that list, I had to go back to remind myself of which person from The Walking Dead Tom Payne was. The answer was apparently Jesus. Look, it's Jesus. The guy who got off the show and complained about the fact that they gave his character nothing to do, which was completely and 100% accurate. Accurate. As someone who has read the comics, they gave him nothing to do. They gave him nothing to do. On the other hand, as a result of giving him nothing to do, I have zero idea if I'm supposed to be excited by him fronting a team. TV show. There is nothing that he did on Walking Dead that made me go, ooh, I can't wait to see what that guy does next. It only makes me go, okay, I hope whatever he does next, he doesn't have to wear a stupid bad beard. That's all that. But look, any actor that gives an interview and he actually tells the truth about why he was unhappy and wanted to be written out of the show, especially on a show that is as big as Walking Dead continues to be, gets points in my book. I do not take away points. I simply did have to Google to find out which person he was. And now I know, but it's not going to matter. I would watch whatever the Michael Sheen show was. Right, exactly. (laughs) And I mean, to me, what's looking at Fox as a whole, what's really impressive to me is that they ordered 10 new shows. That's almost double from last year. And with so much of an investment in sports in the fall, a lot of people, myself included, really wondered how much of an investment the new Fox, which we can officially stop calling it that, (laughs) Fox Entertainment, how much scripted Fox Entertainment would invest in. And the answer is a lot. Ten new shows. What's really fascinating is that Fox boarded nine of those ten as a co-producer, meaning it has an ownership stake in almost all of its new shows. Which doesn't, again, necessarily prove to me, their thesis of how an independent network is supposed to act. No, I mean, look, they're going to launch a studio. It's just a question of when and how and and who's going to run it and what that's going to look like. But this is laying a very good foundation for them. It is, and I think they had to prove that in the same way that NBC did not need to prove that they were revitalizing or rebooting or rejuvenating the network or whatever, or they felt they didn't, whether or not they do or not is irrelevant. Fox absolutely had a point that they had to make. We are going to come out. We're not ignoring scripted. We're not going to get second chance, second choice shows. We're going to get shows from the big producers. We're going to get them with the relatively big stars, depending on, you know, whether six months ago, Stephen Dorff fronting a show was going to look exciting. After True Detective, it looks totally interesting and valid. So and they, and they paid him a ton of money to do that show, too. And, you know, beyond that, Fox also cut bait on a couple of really surprising shows, Lethal Weapon, 
I think I've said on this podcast before that the backstory of what's going on behind the scenes is probably more compelling than what's on screen. Well, the sooner you cancel it, the sooner people can start being candid about details that not like there's been a lack of candor. Oh, of so course, yeah. Clint Crawford's been perfectly happy to talk about what happened. So. Yeah. And then they canceled the Empire spinoff star, which I mean, Empire is moving to Tuesdays at nine. It's airing opposite This Is Us this season. Fox CEO Charlie Collier is saying that they're going to send it off in style. It's got two extra episodes for a total of 20 they're going all in. And no expectation that Jesse Smollett's going to return either. Uh, I kind of wonder if they now can bring him back for, say, the finale and just have that be it, if that would be sufficient. But we can fortunately, no doubt, talk about it several times. The 911 spinoff <laughs> seems very funny to me, but what am I going to say? There's there's no reason not to. Like, 911 is an incredibly successful show for Fox. And it's, it's sort of and an entirely under-the-radar kind of show. If you look at what that show's Live Plus 7 ratings are, they're remarkable why not try to spin that off? You know, why not try to keep Ryan Murphy happy and present as much and as long as you possibly can? And Rob Lowe is... The man who never ages. But he is TV royalty of a certain kind, and so... He's a bankable and marketable star that people will know just on a billboard, which is what you have to look for. You've got a proven format in 911, a star who you can recognize on a billboard in, in middle America... The show's set in Texas. I mean, come on. You indeed do not need to order a pilot for it. It's so simple and easy. Yes. Well, Dan, let's go to our next victim. I mean, network. I'm just going to keep doing that all podcast. What do you think? <laughs> One more time. I, I mean, the first time it was really funny. The second time it was really, really funny. The third time it dropped a little bit. But number four is really going to be the charm. All right. Well, here we go. Up next, we'll go with Disney-owned ABC. Number three. ABC has a brand new regime, which we've talked about here. Peter Rice, Dana Walden, and entertainment president Carrie Burke. And what's interesting to me about what they did this season is it seems like they, you know, and look, we haven't heard from them yet. We should clarify before we get into this. They haven't had their press call and their presentation is on Tuesday, both on Tuesday. And what it seems to be just on the surface is that it looks like they waited a year before they wanted to make their mark on what this network is in the post Fox acquisition world. They renewed a ton of bubble shows, including Fresh Off the Boat, much to Constance Wu's chagrin. And honestly, the, you know, they also had the season's biggest cancellation in Speechless, which was one of the very few shows that, that they actually cut bait with. And, you know, I, Dan, I know you have a lot of thoughts about Speechless, as do I. But what's interesting from a business point of view is Speechless is produced by 20th Century Fox TV, which Disney now owns. So they finally, finally, finally had an ownership stake in this show, which was a critical favorite, and it was a season away from syndication, meaning there was a secondary revenue stream around the corner. And they cut bait. And I'm very surprised. Dan, go ahead. Take it take well, it away. But first of all, what insight do you have on why, given those things that you just listed, that occurred? What what explanation can you give for, for what should have been – obviously not a – clear renewal. This is not like this was a hit show. So I mean, let's, this is a, has been a bubble show yeah, since day one. I think, and I do think we need to be clear about that. So when it comes to surprising, you just gave most of the reasons why it's a surprise. If you just were to look at the numbers for the show, I don't think it is a surprise, right, obviously, at all. Numbers don't paint the full story anymore. It's stacking, you know, it's, it's, it's SVOD sales, international sales, and of course, syndication. I mean, the push to get to syndication is what got Gotham a final season last year because they needed the extra handful of episodes to get to that threshold. And, you know, you asked me why I, else I think Speechless was canceled. I mean, I think creator Scott Silveri and the show is based on, on his on his family. 
I think he may maybe tied it up a little bit too neatly with a, a big big bow in the in the season finale, which I think you talked about. Yeah, I, I did talk about it in our last podcast, and I and I think that's true. I you know I always hate when a show goes off with the cliffhanger because that seems like an antagonistic thing to do to your audience. It seems like an antagonistic thing to do to the network where you don't necessarily want to antagonize them, etc. Yeah, but, didn't didn't Lucifer end on a cliffhanger last I, I season? I believe so, and it worked. So, but uh, you know, lots of people. It's sort of the way that the network game has forced the hands of the creators. Is that you want to end on something that isn't too satisfactory? And I do think that Speechless perhaps made a small mistake in ending with four or five episodes about the main character going off to college, about the family kind of coming to terms with how they exist on their own and what they can do without when now that they've discovered that JJ isn't there and therefore what is what is their life without him? And I thought it did a beautiful job with that. On the other hand, where it left after the finale was absolutely a totally satisfying stopping point. And so if you leave your show in that position, sometimes a network is gonna say, okay, thank you, 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 did, you did great work, we liked having you around. We don't need to bring you back. And I do wonder what they could have done that would have agitated things, that would have said, okay, here's what's exciting about our next season. And I think they didn't do that. That being said, it's a genuinely important, good, great, funny, heartwarming show that I would love to see find another place. And it feels like there ought to be options. If you had to guess, is there a chance it could find a home somewhere else? I wouldn't be surprised to see that decision reversed. I don't know if it will be on ABC or another platform. I mean, I can't imagine it jumping networks considering the ownership structure of it. But I should also mention it's a, it's a stellar cast and a, and a great producing team. It's Scott Silveri and his wife, Dana Goldberg, who both met and worked on Friends. It's a married couple running the show. The cast is just fantastic. John Ross Bowie is one of my favorites and, you know, also recurring on Big Bang. So he's having a big week this week. But to me, it's the, the, the biggest cancellation of the season. And for that to be timed roughly with the with the renewal of Fresh Off the Boat, complete with Constance Wu's rather dramatic and surprisingly candid, albeit in varying waves of candor. Uh, <laughs> to put it mildly. For, Can we just talk about that for a second? Sure. Where do you want to start? It's ridiculous. It's the only thing that anyone is talking about right now. I mean, we're yes, we're talking about some of these new shows, but like if you go to Industry Circle and you, t- and you dial up some of the agents and the and executives in this town, it's, I mean, it, she sounds insane. She sounds a little crazy. It is definitely the Starbucks, cu- the Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones of this upfront season. I, she sounds a lot of things. The thing that upsets some people on a reasonable level is that she is still first or second on the call sheet of a show that is now apparently going to have to go into business. And every single person associated with that show knows exactly how she feels about it. And that's too bad. Realistically, of course. And it's, she made these comments at a time when the show is now owned by Disney, which is the most family-friendly company that you could, that I can think of off the top of my head and on four hours of sleep. It is definitely the company that wants to be most family-forward, and her responses were not the most family-forward. I, I suspect that probably the cast and crew of that show had vague awareness of her feelings. I have no doubt that they did. <laughs> I'm, I'm, being, I'm being accommodating in this circumstance. I assume that they had some awareness of how she felt. It is still, on one hand, 
a large slap in the face to all of them. On the other hand, I understand the rationale. A lot of people on Twitter were making equivalencies to Melissa McCarthy, who stayed willingly through the duration of Mike and Molly, and George Clooney, who served out his contract on ER. To those people, and I said this on Twitter, George Clooney stayed on ER in an Emmy-nominated role on the most popular show on TV. His staying on ER only benefited his image. Melissa McCarthy won an Emmy for the first season of Mike and Molly, and she had that Chuck Lorre CBS sitcom syndication money on the horizon at all times. Whereas if you're Constance Wu, she has not been nominated for Emmys for this show, which surely she could have been for the first couple seasons. Without any question, she was good enough. It is not a hit show. It's a show that's staggering along on the bubble there's less incentive for her to pretend to be happy to be on this show than for George Clooney or Melissa McCarthy to pretend to be happy on their shows. For Constance Wu, this is only at this point, honestly, an impediment. Yeah. And, and I feel a little bad, but I also feel hugely bad for the people who have to go to work with her now, knowing what they know. <laughs> yes, exactly. And if you haven't checked out, Rick Porter did a great story rounding up all the Twitter reactions for the renewals and cancellations and the highlights to, you know, there are a couple of really, really great highlights. And, and it's Seth MacFarlane for the Orville, Sam Lerner from the Goldbergs and Alison Tolman for her new ABC drama, all of whom had a field day with Constance Wu-like memes. So you should check those out. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, ABC canceled Rookie Whiskey Cavalier starring Scott Foley and Lauren Cohan. And if you haven't watched Scott Foley's Instagram video announcing the cancellation, you should do so immediately. It is the definition of class. And it's at the same time incredibly heartbreaking as his wife, Marika, who recurred on the show, broke down in tears. And it, it really gives you a sense of what upfront season is like for talent. And you feel bad for them. That was a that was a show that ABC really did not do any favors for at any point. I kind of got into it, though. It was an it okay, was fun. I think it was an okay show. It was cute. Everyone was good looking. It got a lot of value out of its international settings. Uh, I think it was a show that could have settled into becoming something solid. I don't know that it started off that way. I think the promotion for the show was it was saturation bombing in a way that obviously didn't work. So ABC needs to examine what they did with that show to figure out why a show that they would tell you they had a lot of enthusiasm for and that they tried to give the best platform possible. And that they paid a steep licensing <laughs> fee because it was produced by Warner Brothers, had an international price tag and two very expensive leads. So, so what, given those circumstances, how did it go so wrong and so immediately? That's for them to to postmortem and all of that. And I'm yeah, curious I'm sure how we'll, introspective. I'm sure Carrie Burke will be asked that, among other things, <clears throat> Constance Wu, uh, well, tomorrow. While we're staying while we're staying on ABC quickly, kind of give me a sense of how shocked you are by how few of their pilots. Well, they let's up. back up really quick and just run through what's been renewed and what's been canceled. Coming back, Agents of Shield, American Housewife, Blackish, Fresh Off the Boat, The Goldbergs, The Good Doctor, Grey's Anatomy, How to Get Away with Murder, Modern Family for a Final Season, Station 19 with a new showrunner, Krista Vernoff from Grey's Anatomy, Rookies, Bless This Mess, The Connors, The Rookie, Schooled, Million Little Things, and Single Parents are all coming back. On the new show front, this was my biggest surprise of pilot season in that all of ABC's frontrunners, the Hannah Simone comedy, the Leslie Odom comedy, those were slam dunks. And this is just gives you an indicator of how quickly things change. So I think it was a week ago I wrote my annual 10 pilots to go and I'm like, 
this is the Hannah Simone, Leslie Odom. These are going without a doubt. Definitely going. Neither went. ABC picked up six new shows and it's crazy. One of them is the Blackish spinoff about a young rainbow called Mixedish. They have a Kobe Smulders drama based on the comic Stumptown. They have a multi-camera comedy from Sony called United We Fall. Another Sony drama called For Life. Then they picked up Emergence. It's produced by ABC Studios and Michelle Fazekas and Tara Butters, who were the great showrunners behind Agent Carter. That show, starring Allison Tolman, was originally picked up to pilot and produced by NBC. And NBC passed on and ABC swooped in, picked it up. And then they picked up another soapy drama called The Baker and the Beauty. So, I mean, you, you've got a very, very small number. So... ABC really passing on the bulk of its pilots. They have, they still have a couple that are being, that are in development and being retooled, which could be a good thing considering there's a lot of uncertainty around how that's going to work amid the WGA and agencies battle over packaging fees. Yeah, it, it, it's a surprise, Dan. This is a network that with so much of an infusion in producers and in content and in IP, and they have all these pilots that were developed by, by Burke's predecessor, Channing Dungey. Some of them quite interesting, but a lot of them didn't go. And you sort of have to wonder what kind of was going through Carrie Burke's mind, sort of how you want to start and Dana your, Walden. And Dana Walden, et cetera, how you want to start your administration. And if the answer is, okay, we'd just as soon not start it with, you know, 10 shows from a previous administration that we really don't want to get behind. That seems reasonable because we always have these situations where someone comes in and either they take advantage of the development season from the previous regime and everyone goes, hey, but you're taking credit, it's not yours, or they come in and they get sunk by the development season from the previous regime. They're just saying, okay, we're <laughs> we're not we're not playing those reindeer games. We're going to wait and we're going to do it ourselves. And I guess that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, you know, look, these networks spend millions of dollars marketing new shows. They all launch in September. It's in, almost impossible to cut through. And maybe ABC will use a lot of its resources to market some of these returning shows. Maybe Fresh Off the Boat will get a bigger push. I don't know. Maybe Station 19 will get a push now that Krista Vernoff is going to be running both that and Grey's Anatomy. And they have and they, they have a bigger incentive to get Station 19 to work now that, that they canceled For the People. It's fourth Shondaland drama. So they're down to three. So if they want to keep TGIT intact, you got to get Station 19 to work. I just, I would not be confident if I were them that there's any way of suddenly getting people to watch that show beyond the people who do. Similarly, I don't know that at this point, Fresh Off the Boat has breakout hit potential, uh, given that the the breakout hit potential came last year after Constance Wu and Crazy Rich Asians and all of that. You know, if you couldn't parlay that exposure into success. Come see the show Constance Wu would just as soon not be involved with anymore <laughs> is really not going to be the best uh, promotion. I don't they think they're going to be the using show. that tagline. Probably not. But uh, and, and so then poor, poor Speechless sitting on the side. Everyone's like, I, we would like to come. We would like to do our show again. But oh, well, not how it goes in this business. Yeah, I suspect we'll find out more from when uh, Carrie Burke and company meet reporters on Tuesday about what's going on with Speechless. But uh I would love to see a Brooklyn Nine-Nine reversal on that and for that, for that to come back on ABC. It doesn't feel it feels, like it would be shocking. It I feels would... like an ABC show, Dan. It does. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our last network for this podcast. See, I, said, I didn't say victim. Oh, wait. I just said it. Let's go to CBS. Number four. 
CBS also went into this upfront season without one key executive, CEO Les Moonves. Instead, Showtime's David Nevins was promoted to chief creative officer overseeing Showtime and CBS. And the network really kind of did the same thing that ABC did. They kept things status quo. Yeah, well, that meant that all of the various reboots and remakes and all of that, they're all they're all coming back. So another season of Hawaii Five O and MacGyver and did And Blue Bloods and Criminal Minds and all three NCIS shows and SEAL Team and SWAT and FBI and a second FBI, which we'll get into later. But yeah, this is a network that is is stable. I mean, the other big surprise to me was not just the renewal for Bull starring Michael Weatherly, but the fact that producers Amblin Television departed the series rather than being affiliated with the show after CBS paid actress Eliza Dushku a settlement following allegations against Weatherly. Yeah, I got, I got opinions on this one. Uh, I had a sense you might. I got, I got opinions on this one. My, my opinion is that if you're CBS, even if Bull was your biggest darn hit, this was a show you probably didn't want to stay in the business of. You simply wanted to say, okay, it's not worth it. We don't want to be here anymore. We don't want to answer questions about this anymore. It is not worth it to us to have this as a reminder of an associative set of behaviors that has gone across our entire corporation, apparently. We simply want to remove traces of that. That would have been the easiest thing to do. And since Bull is not a huge hit, it's just not. It's not unsuccessful. And obviously, every other network on television would be perfectly over the moon to have a Bull-style hit. But by CBS standards, it is a show that's part of their portfolio. And if that is all it is, why not get the noxious crap off of your air so that you don't have to answer questions about it other than the why did you cancel it oh we thought it was time to move on such an easy answer we thought it was time to move on in the same way that amblin thought it was time to move on just move on why keep that reminder on your network especially as the network is is working (laughs) overtime to try and clean up its image and reputation and and it i guess i shouldn't be too shocked that they renewed bull because even amid the settlement, when all of that was breaking, they never pulled it from the schedule. They stuck with it this whole time. And every single time it was advertised during anything I watched, it now causes me to wince. It's not like I was ever a viewer of Bull, so it's not like... You were never full of Bull? I'm I'm often full (laughs) of Bull. I'm sorry, Dan. Uh, But I watched, uh, you know, three, four episodes at the beginning. That was all I needed. Life goes on, whatever. I'm not going to call it the worst show on TV or anything. It is simply negligible. And if you have a show that's negligible and its defining characteristic is we paid off an actress who complained that the environment on set was noxious, why keep the negligible show on the air? This is easy for me to say. It's not my money that's being discarded. And I assume that Bull is is has international value and it's, you know, going into its now fourth season. Is that what this is? I have no idea. Anyway, so that's, you know, it's nearing syndication. It has that value. So it's easy for me to say throw away the money. But man, this is one circumstance where throwing away the money is the better thing to do. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree there. The other thing that's interesting, you know, when you look at the canceled shows, Murphy Brown, official, dead, gone after one season. Any comments on that, Dan? 
I feel like we talked about it. But. I, I feel like we talked about it. it. It went away so fast that I, I don't know that it destroyed the reputation and legacy of Murphy Brown. Uh, you know, this is not Jim Palmer trying to come back 10 years after retirement and not making it out of spring training, you know, or maybe it is actually, maybe it's exactly that because no one even remembers that was the thing Jim Palmer tried to do. And all of our listeners are like, man, a good Jim Palmer anecdote. This is what we tune into the podcast for. Um, <laughs> Got to find a way to fit baseball in. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I don't think it, it destroyed the reputation. On the other hand, it does look like something they tried to do that. They took a swing. But they took a swing, not not a huge swing or anything. I mean, resurrecting a, a dead classic TV show, not a huge swing, but still a little little sad because doesn't help the legacy yeah the other high profile cancellation they had was veteran comedy life in pieces which i mean was really used as a filler at, by the end of its run and still airing i think too it is it's fairly early in the season so they've got basically a full season of episodes still to go of that season of that brutal. show brutal to cancel while it's still on i mean but hey we're talking about life in pieces so Free press? We are indeed, and Life in Pieces I describe as a very slightly above average show, and so I will continue to... I, I watch it. It pops up on my DVR every week. I watch the episodes, and every episode with four storylines, one or two of them usually are pretty funny. That's not a disgrace. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's look at some of the new series. So CBS this season bet really big on established producers and big-name stars. So like I mentioned... They picked up an FBI spinoff called Most Wanted from Dick Wolf. So he now has franchises on both NBC and CBS. And it's funny to me that they would order a spinoff because FBI, which almost is my my new designated survivor, FBI had three showrunners in season one and it's getting a spinoff. It, it seems, I don't know, questionable. But then again, it's Dick Wolf, it's IP. And it's easily reproducible, and you're keeping Dick Wolf happy and in the family. That And it hasn't been disgraced in any particular way, and therefore I see more value in something like that than hypothetically Bull. Yeah, so, so two FBIs, two NCISs. Elsewhere on the drama front, they have cop drama Tommy, starring Edie Falco, whom Nevins recruited to the network. Legal drama All Rise. On the comedy front, they have a new Chuck Lorre series called Bob Hart's Abishola, starring Billy Gardell of Mike and Molly fame. Another multicam, Patricia Heaton vehicle Carol's second act from the creators of Trophy Wife. And then they have Broke, a multicamera from Jane the Virgin's Jenny Snyder Ehrman, starring CBS favorite Polly Perrette. There are some interesting shows here. I think they, you know, they skew CBS-y. Uh, there's no disputing that, but give me a new show from the Kings. I will watch. Oh, I didn't even mention. You it's, did not. I did not mention. It, it is evil. It is produced by Robert and Michelle King, who, bringing them back to the network after The Good Wife, not making you pay for it like The Good Fight. And, you know, look, it's religion meets sci-fi. You know, they already released a teaser for it on Sunday. That's getting out in front. So we know what their priority is from that. I'm, I'm curious what that will look like. I'm I, I am never fundamentally opposed to a Chuck Lorre show, so I will be curious what that is, though Bob Hart's Abishola is a horrendous title. That's a rough title, yeah. Whatever, you know. That... <laughs> but you know what it is in the title. I it's do, not like Cougar Town. I do indeed. And so, you know, we'll all just call it Bish and that'll be okay. Um, uh, I'm not, but thank you. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it doesn't sound like a bad development slate. No. Um, and 
it would be great to just talk about that as opposed to dudes. Why'd you keep bull on? Yeah. <laughs> the other takeaway is C- CBS is going to continue to invest in multi cameras. The Chuck Lorre show, the Heaton vehicle, they have another one. They have three new multi cameras. That's big because Big Bang Theory is ending its run on Thursday, leaving a gaping hole on CBS's schedule. Thursdays at eight for the first time in, in a long time without Big Bang on the schedule. That's a those are big shoes to fill. They are, and that also seems a little bit like a transition. That is a transition, Dan. As always, we're going to wrap things up with our Critics' Corner segment. Number five. This week, we could have dedicated an entire podcast to three of TV's biggest shows, which are all ending within the span of a week. The Veep series finale aired last night. Thursday, CBS says farewell to Big Bang after 12 seasons. And then days later, a little show we like to call Game of Thrones hangs it up. Dan, there's so much going around in the TV universe right now, whether it's upfronts or some of these massive shows that are ending. And I'm going to tell our listeners, look, if you see a TV reporter or critic out in the wild this month, please give them a hug. I mean, ask permission first. I mean, yes, ask permission. (laughs) But there's a lot going on. Because some of us are a little bit uncomfortable with random uh, stranger hugs. Okay. If you see a a TV reporter or critic, please give them a high five. Uh, High five, fist bump. Uh, these are these are things that I am totally there for. Hugs ask first. Yeah, but it seems pretty remarkable that, that three of these massive shows, Veep, an awards darling, Big Bang Theory, a ratings behemoth, Game of Thrones, just a pop culture sensation, all ending within the span of a week. And definitely in different ways also. So the Veep finale aired, I guess it would be last night, Sunday. We can say that because we've acknowledged it's Monday as we're recording it. And it was as bitter and filled with bile as one could have possibly hoped for, because, I mean, that is a positive thing. Uh, One of TV's darkest, most cynical shows would not have been able to successfully sell a uplifting, positive, hopeful, (laughs) aspirational finale. They took that show to the murkiest place it possibly could and then took it even further. And uh, at times in the last season, which was, I would say, as dark and cynical as the show has ever been, perhaps more so, the the show might have left me feeling a little dirty at the end of episodes. And I think feeling dirty at the end of the finale is exactly what they were going for in this finale. Uh, Do you watch Veep or did you not watch Veep? I am behind in that I never finished season one. (laughs) (laughs) Please do not send me hate mail. I know I need to watch it. There's a lot of TV. Anyway, so now I've spoiled for you that it's going to be cynical for the next next six or seven seasons. I'm always in shock if I I remain unspoiled, but by the time I get around to it, I'll probably have forgotten what what you've said. No offense, but I won't remember. It's okay. I get that a lot. Anyway, cynical, bitter, filled with bile, Rather remarkable. Um, And that's also, by the way, this is what's called the transition, how the Twitter is feeling about the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones at this point has just worn me down this season. That's that's all I have to say, because I don't even know if I liked this last week's episode. I know I hated the week before that. I am I'm 100 percent convinced that I hated episode four. Episode five. I don't know how I feel anymore because it's just so damned exhausting and I get the feeling it's going to hit a finale and I'm going to feel the same way. I I shouldn't feel as if this is a show that's beating me into submission and that's kind of where it is at this point. Yeah, I've been a fan of Game of Thrones since, since day one. My very first fun story here, 
the very first assignment that I had when I got promoted to be a TV staff writer was watching the DVD for Game of Thrones, the, the premiere, and and my lovely editor, Lacey Rose, telling me to find a story there. And that was the first thing I ever wrote when I got promoted here. And now, all these years later, I, I'm finding myself cursing at the TV because, you know, Benioff and Weiss trolled viewers three times thinking that Arya Stark was being killed off last night. And it's, it's just stop doing that. Just just don't do that. Just stop trolling your audience and stop leaving coffee cups because we don't like writing about it and it's boring and it damages your show. And just like ugh, it, it, they're finding every, it seems like feels like they're finding a lot of ways to not stick the landing here, Dan. Uh, they I mean, some people have been loving these past few episodes and I'm always struck by kind of different waves of reaction on Twitter. And I think each of the past maybe again, the fourth week didn't have quite the large number of defenders. The The fourth episode, mostly people were just able to accept, okay, that was not a particularly good use of time or character. Whereas the third episode kind of had these waves of, oh my God, it's the biggest episode I've seen in my life. Oh my God, I couldn't see it. Oh my God, get over yourselves, adjust the color on your TV. Uh, back and forth and back and forth. And last night already feels like it's gone through the same kind of waves. Uh, some people... I know in my world, loved the episode, thought it was entirely motivated, thought it was fantastic epic television. Other people thought it was relying on sexist tropes, which even if entirely defended and motivated by the plot of seven, eight seasons, still were just kind of a dead end. And I think I feel that way. I, t I totally understand how we ended up with Danny where we've ended up not to spoil anything, really. Yeah, but it also feels like this is they, this could have been twice as many episodes, and it feels like that they've sacrificed a lot of character development to get to these checkpoints that they needed to this final season. And it's it makes me sad. Uh, and the, the long episodes just hasn't been a solution. Uh, th there's really been no reason why these episodes couldn't have been edited differently, better, and not been as... I don't know. I, I should be I should be really excited about the end of Game of Thrones, and I'm not. Um, you, on the other hand, I assume are very excited about Thursday. Excited and probably pre-sad about the ending of uh, Big Bang Theory. How many times do you expect to cry watching Thursday's finale? Well, I was on set for the taping of the finale, and it's all embargoed, so I can't say too much, but... Can you tell me how many times you cried during the shooting? How about that? I, I cried at least twice during the shooting, maybe maybe three times. I also got emotional talking to a lot of the cast and the producers for the for the final time about the show. It's been look, I've written about the show for for over a decade, and it's one of my favorites. My wife and I watch it together. We sing the theme song. We're super dorks in that way. But it's also like one of the very few shows that we have in common that we know. Like this is our time. We're just going to sit and close the computer and put a phone put the phones down and share something together. And I think that to me is. It almost makes me feel like the end of that era for me because there's very few shows that, that are appointment viewing that you tune in at the exact same time with everyone else and it becomes a communal experience. But yeah, I'm, I'm sad that it's ending. I think it's a very fulfilling series finale. It's two episodes back to back and then there's a special episode of Young Sheldon afterwards and then a retrospective hosted by Johnny Galecki and Kaylee Cuoco. And then, of course, everybody's on, on Colbert that night too. So... Look, the cast, you know, it's a really, really, really wonderful cast and they all get along pretty well and I'm going to miss the show. And I think they, they stick the landing. It's, it's got a lot of callbacks that I think longtime viewers will appreciate. I think there's some surprising emotional turns and developments in it and there's a hell of a great cameo.
Is it from the actress who played original Penny in the pilot that they scrapped? Because that would not. be a great cameo. That would have been amazing. If Amanda Walsh just popped yeah. up and no one commented and she just walked through a scene and no one happened to mention, didn't she used to be Penny? That's what I want. I want there to be lots and lots of references to both the pilot they scrapped and to how truly awful the show was in really its first season, basically. I, I think that this is a show that has somewhat gotten a bad reputation because of the illusion that it's not a critical favorite and the illusion it's is been nominated for best comedy series multiple times it's it won. never won no it it's never won. A, oh you mean who cares about emmys TC, it won tca awards which means critics do like that show it did not just get nominated it won multiple tca awards i handed one to chuck Lorre myself so it is not a show that is hated by critics on the other hand it's a show that started off just horrible and it does prove that sometimes there's a reason to watch and stick with yeah. multicams to see when they're going to find the voices the actors etc cetera, etc cetera. this is a show that when it was very good really did know its voices of its cast extraordinarily i don't know that i would ever tell you there was a time it was consistently long range very good but it's a show that has always been just good enough to keep me watching to the next week and so I will. I don't know that I will be sad or excited to see it go, but I will nod politely in its direction. Um, it, it left me with a smile on my face. That's all I, I will say on the topic. And we'll probably talk about that again on Friday once you've seen it. And we can talk a little bit more about uh, the events and how it really how it all ended. So 12 seasons, TV's number one comedy signing off on Thursday, Game of Thrones on Sunday and just so much going on. So that wraps up our special Upfronts edition of TV's Top 5. As I mentioned, we'll be back Friday with a special post-Upfronts wrap-up. Until then, if you like us, be sure to check out THR's other wonderful podcasts, including Josh Wiggler's Series Regular, which on Wednesday will get into all things Game of Thrones, and Scott Feinberg's Awards Chatter, which continues to be in full Emmy swing. And you can continue to subscribe to our podcast on all of your various podcast platforms. If you like us, feel free to rate us. If you really like us, feel free to leave a review. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at tvstop5 at thr.com. And since you've already said that we'll be back later this week, until a few days from now, Leslie. Until a few days from now, Dan. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.